0: Morning. A couple of weeks ago, uh, at the beginning of this series, I said that a different kind of year needs a different kind of Advent. And I think that that's what we've been blessed with over the past couple of weeks. We've been sharing in this uh, holistic experience as a church called The Weary World Rejoices. And, uh, you know, so we have our our Advent devotions at home. Um, Some of us have checked out the uh, Spotify playlist, um, and we're being introduced to new Advent or to new Christmas music that we wouldn't usually listen to. Um, We're lighting candles, we're engaging in spiritual practices such as darkness, vacancy, frugality, and pause. Pause. Now, even if you don't get to do the devotions every day, um, I would encourage you to try it. I'd encourage you to try it once because it's incredible how much God can speak to us through these times and these spiritual practices. And then linked in with all of this. Each Sunday, I've been preaching on the Sunday text from the start of each week. And so, week one, we uh, lit the candle of uh, hope, and we looked at uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter one, um, chapter forty, verses one through five, about um, the the importance of repentance. Uh, and then last week, we lit uh, the candle of peace. And we looked at Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 8 about how we need to look back at peace, how we need to look down um, at grace and how we need to look forward in hope. And this week we're focusing on how joy transforms praise into proclamation, how joy transforms Praise into proclamation and and for this uh, message we're going back to the book of Isaiah um, this time chapter twelve verses one through six now when we 're diving in and out of the books of the bible it's always good to you know to have a bit of context um, usually I preach through the through a book of the Bible uh, that 's usually how we do it but when we 're changing um, uh, our reference scripture from week to week, it is helpful for us to have a better context. And so, f- you, know, to, uh, you know, for us to get a little bit of, of a view of the background story of what's happening in the book of Isaiah, I'd like to quote to you from Warren Wearsby, and he explains a bit of the situation that, that is being explored in the book of Isaiah. And he says this, here's the context. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ in a period of international tension, Egypt, Syria, Israel, which is the northern kingdom, uh, Babylon, and And Assyria all had their eyes on Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And the leaders of Judah tried to play one nation against another in their attempt to avoid war. Isaiah warned them not to trust in politics, but to trust the Lord and obey his word. The leaders did not listen, as so often happens in the Bible. And Judah was eventually taken captive by Babylon. Uh, And so, Isaiah's book... Both guided and comforted the exiles during their captivity the first the first eleven chapters of Isaiah highlight the sickness in the kingdom of Judah, um, the breakdown of society, uh, the warnings from God and the judgments of God, and also the promises of future hope. And so, you know, if you think about these themes of the breakdown of society, of warnings and of judgment and of future hope, this kind of very much sounds like um, the sort of space that we sort of find ourselves in right now, right? And and so, as Jesus followers, um, we're trying to live kingdom lives in a world that is at odds with God's kingdom, and so we feel the wrongness. Uh, We feel the yearning for everything to be made right. We want Jesus to come, but we also want our family and our friends and our loved ones to be saved. And so it's this kind of weird mixture of how long, Lord, how long until you come and not yet, Lord, not yet, because we still have work to do. And so that 's kind of Isaiah chapters one through eleven and and then this brings us to chapter twelve, which is it 's a very short chapter it 's only six verses um, and 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 after this mixed bag of chapters one through eleven chapter twelve then you know um, comes on the scene as a hymn of praise. It's a a song of hope. And so as you hear this scripture read to you this morning, please listen to what the Spirit of God might be saying to you. Let's listen to uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 12, 1 through 6.
1: Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord and the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout out loud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is the word of the Lord. Now as you look at... uh... Isaiah chapter 12, you can see that this
0: short chapter can be broken up into 2 verses 1 to 2 and then verses 4 to 6. We'll look at verse 3 later. But each of these sections starts with the phrase, in that day. Now, we're all looking forward to something. At the moment, many of us are looking forward to Christmas. Um, But um, one aspect of being a human is that we were created to look ahead with anticipation, with with hope. We were created to look ahead with hope. Now the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 that God uh, has also set eternity in the human heart yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Friends God has set eternity in our hearts in your heart and in and in my heart and And this means that we were created with an eternity-sized longing that only eternity can fill, can fulfill, can meet, can satisfy. There is a day that all lovers of Jesus are looking forward to. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 12, it's called, that day in that day. And as the Judahites are listening to this prophecy, you can imagine them hearing these words and saying to each other, oh, in that day, I can't wait for that day. Now, for them, that day was the day when their captivity would end and they could go home again. And for us, I said that that day refers to the second coming of Jesus. Now, I remember as a teenager, um, I, I remember praying or thinking or having it somewhere in my brain, but rather prominently in my brain, um, this, this uh, thought or this wish or this prayer, which went something like this, Lord, I can't wait for you to come again. I was genuinely excited, but please don't come until I've got married and I've had the chance to enjoy the special benefits of marriage. Now I've been married for sixteen years. I got three kids, and so Jesus, you can come any time that you want. Just kidding. But that, but that whole idea of anticipation is so key to the Christian life, right? The idea of future hope, and I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one. Says this: Now um, faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then a few verses onwards in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from from a distance, from afar, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth anticipation. Now ask yourself this, why do you long for the PlayStation 5? Why do you long for the iPhone 12 Pro? Why do you long for that house or that family or that child or that retirement package or that movie release day or that Amazon package? Why? It's because we were created to anticipate. But then why is it that whenever you get that thing, whatever it is, why does the longing not stop? Why are you now not, if you have that thing that you're so looking forward to, why are you not now eternally content and the reason is because you were created to anticipate eternity, because eternity has been set sovereignly by God in your human heart, and only God can stop, can fulfill, can satiate that serial longing. And so as soon as we step foot into eternity, as soon as we take up residence on the new heavens and the new earth, we will know what our souls will have been longing for all that time. We will look back at the PlayStation 5 and the iPhone 12 Pro and we'll laugh, we'll laugh, we'll laugh because we'll see how ludicrous it was, how insane it was that we thought that that really silly little thing would somehow satisfy us. Now, no one who has an iPhone 12 Pro longs for an iPhone 5, right? Why is that? Because the iPhone 5 is inferior to the iPhone 12. In the same way, when God is your object of anticipation, then these other things become less important. Now to look at us, right, humans, you and me, looking in the mirror. To look at us, uh, you would not imagine that that we were this eternity-sized black hole of anticipation. You know, when you look in the mirror, uh, you don't see the eternity that God has set in your heart. As you walk around in the mall or Walmart and as you look at your fellow shoppers, you don't automatically look at them and go, you were created for eternity, you were created for eternity, and only eternity will satisfy you. We don't think that. And the reason is because we cannot see this spiritual reality with our physical eyes. And that's why it's so important to train our minds uh, to see each other as um, walking uh, mobile storage units um, of eternal anticipation. Because it's only as we uh, train ourselves to view each other as organic mobile storage units of eternity that Isaiah 12 will make sense. And so let me challenge you this. As you go around Walmart, as you go around the mall, as you go shopping over this next week, as you're Zooming with your family or as you're going through maybe Costco or you're walking the dog or you're choosing a tree, whatever it is... Look at your fellow human beings who are harried and who are busy and who are rushed and hurried, and simply say this to yourself: that uh, um, that God has set eternity in her heart, that God has set eternity in His heart, that He He is a walking repository of eternity. Now. Now, they might not realize it, right? But you realize it. And so you see the glorious potential in this individual's life. And simply start by praying into that truth that she, that he, that they are walking repositories of eternity. That, uh, that he or she was made for that day. And then see how God starts to change your heart towards your fellow human being. In fact, I would also encourage you, you know, to maybe take a minute in the morning and to look in the mirror and to say that God has set eternity in my heart. God has set eternity in my heart, that eternity is in my heart, that eternity is in my heart, that eternity is is in my heart, that eternity is in my heart, and that eternity is in my heart. I am a mobile, organic storage unit of eternity. And start praying into that realization and start to see how changing the perspective That one thing starts to change your day. Because here's the thing. As we start living for that day, as we start realizing that God has set eternity in our hearts, two things will happen according to Isaiah chapter 12. Number one, we will praise Him for what He has done. And number two, we will proclaim Him. We will praise Him and we will proclaim Him. Verse one and two of Isaiah twelve. I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you've comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord Himself is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Now I, I love these verses. Right here, here's where we, where we really see. Um, Uh, The prophet talking about praising God, right? And and these verses are wonderful because, because it shows us that the almighty God was angry with us. But then his anger turns away and instead of the anger, he comforts us. What an amazing summary of the gospel that God was angry with us, that his anger turned away and that he's comforted us. Now, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 explains the nature of God's anger. And it's really important for us to, to know what this means because we can easily misunderstand it and misrepresent God. And so Romans 1 verse 18 says this, The wrath or the anger of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, the Bible Project on YouTube, which is a great resource, uh, they talk about God's anger there. And they talk about God's anger being a response to, quote, human evil. And then they say this, just like you would get angry if you saw a child getting bullied on the playground. So God gets angry when humans oppress each other and ruin his world. In the Bible, God's anger is an expression of his justice and his love for the world. Okay, God's anger is an expression of his justice. And God's anger, think about this, is an expression of his love for the world. End quote. And so there's this kind of wonderful, um, glorious, beautiful transformation that happens when we acknowledge our sin and we place our trust in Jesus, that God's anger is turned away and, uh, and, uh, and it's replaced by his glorious comfort, which is incredible, right? And it's from that position of experiencing God's comfort that we can say, along with verse 2, that uh, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. When you know God's comfort, you can say, I will trust and not be afraid. Okay, but what is God's comfort? Is it like a big warm hug? Is uh, Is it a nice feeling inside? Or is there more to it? Well, verse 2 and 3 actually describe to us what God's comfort looks like. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord, the Lord himself, I love that. It's just really emphasizing. It's not, it's no one else. It's the Lord, the Lord himself, here it is, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And so the comfort, which was previously referenced, is here explained as being my strength and my defense. God's comfort is both strength and defense. And and so strength, we could understand that as uh, the ability to move forward, right? It's the strength to keep on going, uh, to maybe take ground, that God's comfort in salvation in the cross allows us to take ground from the enemy, to redeem lost years, and to move forward in his strength and in his power. God's comfort is our strength. But But God's comfort is not just about taking ground, it's not just strength, it's also about not losing ground, it's also our defense. It's our safe place to retreat to, it's our refuge, it's our wall of protection where the enemy can't move past. And so in summary, God's comfort is His salvation. It's His saving power that allows us to take ground for His glory and His kingdom and also not to concede any ground that He has won through us and for us. He is our strength. He is our defense. He's our forward momentum. And so for the person who's been living for Jesus, you will notice that life is not stagnant. It's not stationary. You're not spinning your wheels. Instead, you will see that you are in fact moving ahead. That sins that used to get you every time, um, you will see that their grip on you isn't quite what it used to be. It's loosened a bit. and, and, And you will also see that you start to want the things of God more and more. There's this forward momentum. There's this movement forwards. And then, and then you start to praise God because Jesus is changing you, that he's transforming you. And this praise naturally uh, overflows into proclaiming him, praise into proclamation. Friends, the most compelling evangelist, uh, you know, the best sharer of the news is not someone who says, well, God says I must share him with others, and so I guess I better, you know, do it. I guess I have to do it. Okay, those aren't the best evangelists. Guilt or... uh, You know, duty should never be our prime motivator in sharing Jesus with others. Rather, it should be praise that leads to the proclamation. You know, think about it. If the, if the residents of Judah came home after their captivity, okay, just have that in your mind, you know, you know, they're coming home after captivity and they settle into their homes again. They're excited and they, and they start to plant crops and they buy livestock and they go for walks in their own, in their old necks of the woods and, and, uh, and there are farmers markets springing up and, and, you know, and the trade's starting again and there's, you know, uh, there's a booming economy, and folks start saving, and they're having babies and families in the homeland, and it's, it's, you know, life's happening. Now, what would happen? What would you think if this was all happening and no one said anything? No one said anything. What would happen if someone from a neighboring tribe comes up to a resident of Judah and says, So you're back. I thought it would never happen. Uh, That's crazy. What happened? And then the Judahite kind of shuffles their feet, looks a bit embarrassed and looks down and says, Well, I know you worship Ashtaroth and that's totally cool with me and I don't want to make a big deal of it. And I don't want to offend you or anything, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and let's just live and let live. But I think that maybe, um, this is just my opinion, mind. but I think that there's a chance that perhaps uh, Yahweh saved us. Sorry, what did you say? I didn't catch that. Yahweh saved us. One more time, can you say it a bit louder? I didn't quite hear that. Yahweh saved us. But it's cool that you worship Ashtoreth. Um, I totally respect that. You know, different strokes for different folks. Just for us, you know, Yahweh saved us. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Praise in here leads to proclamation out there. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 4, In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. It means saying to the people who worship Ashtoreth with respect and and with gentleness, look what Jesus did for me. Look how he comforted me. He saved me. He's my strength. He's my defense. This is why, okay, this principle of praise turning into proclamation, this is why the McCullers are in Cambodia. This is why Sarah Davis is in Montreal. This is why World Hope International is doing all of their work around the world. This is why Wendy, I, and the kids left Canada and went to live on a ship in Southeast Asia for four years. You know... this is why last last week uh, one of the church 414 groups here at Cornerstone went went over to the seniors residence with with gifts of point setters and cards and you know various other things this is why m- m- my brother Josh in Wales over the past couple of weeks has been open air preaching in Wales after being warned you know th- that the police are going to come along and shut him down. This is why he is doing this, because joy uh, transforms praise into proclamation. People need to know that God has placed eternity in their hearts and that Jesus has come to fill that that eternity-sized space with himself. The message of Isaiah chapter 12 is that praise leads to proclamation, that worship leads to mission, that exalting God leads to evangelization, and that loving God in here transforms or, or, or leads to loving others out there. It's got to change. It's got to have an impact. It's got to have a, a flow-on, knock-on effect. Okay, so maybe you're looking at your life right now and you're thinking, well... I can't do that I can't do that, that's not me well then I don't want you to walk away from here thinking that Dan is trying to guilt you into publicly declaring Jesus absolutely not, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you then that's one thing but this isn't Dan trying to force you to go to your coworker and say you need Jesus and I need to tell you that Okay, that's not what I'm trying to do here But what I do want you to hear is this, is that there is a connector that ties the praise to the proclamation. There is a link that joins the worship to the mission, uh, to loving God in here, to loving others out there. And I know that some of you have already discovered the key or the bridge. And and there are others of you who haven't. But maybe this morning is the morning when you do. Okay, here it is. It's in verse 3 with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation water from the wells of salvation friends if joy is involved then it's no longer about having to it's about wanting to with joy you will draw wells from the uh, water from the well of salvation from the wells of salvation Now, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says this to her. It's so cool. He says, everyone who drinks this water, this physical water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir. Give me this water, so that i won 't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water and Jesus gives her this water, this this salvation, this spring of water that keeps on welling up into eternal life and what happened to her? Well, her praise turned into proclamation. Her loving God there at the well, you know, in the privacy of the well with, with, with no one there, her, 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 her praising God in here turned into um, loving others out there. Um, because of her testimony, because of her words, people experienced Jesus for themselves because she'd learned how to draw water from the well of salvation. And she didn't memorize the Romans road or the four spiritual laws or whatever helpful tool there is for evangelism. She didn't know any of the right terms at that moment. She was a baby, baby, little, you know, tiny, tiny Christian. And so her entire message was this. This was her, her entire strategy for evangelism. It was, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? That was her message. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And that was it. She told them a one-sentence story. She asked a question, and then she left it up to them. She told a story. She asked a question, and then she left it. And so let me ask you this. Um, Can you tell your one-sentence story? And can you ask a question that leaves the listener thinking, that leaves a stone in their shoe, as it were? Can you say that this is the difference that Jesus made to me? Could it be that he wants to do the same to you? If so, if you can do this, then God can use that. If she could do it, then I can do it. Then you can do it. But friends, it starts with drawing with joy water from the wells of salvation. It means going to the Bible and praying to Jesus, Lord, remind me of my story. Show me those verses that outline this work that you've done in my life. Right verses like John three sixteen, verses like Romans five one through eight from last week, or um, or Isaiah chapter four verse, uh, from two weeks ago, Isaiah chapter forty, or like Isaiah chapter twelve verses one through six this morning, and draw from those wells. Uh, stay there, linger there, and with joy let down the bucket and drink, and bucket and drink, and bucket and drink, and bucket and drink. And bucket, and drink, and bucket, and drink friends we need joy because joy because the joy of verse 3 is the bridge between the praise of verse 1 and 2 and the proclamation of verses 4 to 6 the joy that comes from the comfort The soul deep comfort that Jesus' salvation brings. Uh, The joy that remembers that God has taken you out of captivity and he's brought you home. The joy that says, that uh, lets you say in that day that... uh, You know, the joy that uh, stems from knowing that God is your strength to move forward and he's your defense so that you don't lose any ground. The joy that comes from knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, even you. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but has eternal life. The joy that causes you to say, God set eternity in my heart, and Jesus satisfies it. Joy is what transforms loving God in here to loving others out there. With joy, you will draw from the wells of salvation. This is a promise for you. John 7:37 On the last and greatest day of the festival Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, "Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture sa- has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them." By this, he meant the spirit. Is this, is this what you want? Is this what you're longing for? If so, then Jesus says, this is on the menu. This is on offer. This is on sale. This is available. These streams of living water. And then, John, and then Romans 14 verse 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is when we will know the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn.